2 Kings chapter 6. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do, the servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those that are with us are more than those that are with them. Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. The Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I want to speak to you on the subject this morning, the prayer that changes everything. The prayer that changes everything. There are prayers that we have prayed in our life that have changed us. I mean, the doctors told Cindy and I, because of the steroids I used as a young man in college, that we would never have children. I mean, we prayed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years. I prayed on a regular basis for us to to have a child. And when Cindy got pregnant, I was so excited. I read... Bradley, Lamaze, I read all of the books. I, I was uh, ready to coach her through this pregnancy. And <clears throat> I, went, I went into the labor room. And once you get in the labor room, everything changes. I mean, I practice, they call the feather uh, technique, where you pretend there's a feather and it's falling, and you go, <laughs> and, you, and you blow the, the feather up in the air. You pretend that you're keeping this feather up, and that's a breathing technique. And uh, the other one was focused breathing, where she looks at you, and you look at her, and you count, and that was a technique. When when you get in the room, all all those things go out the window. It's like, my wife is just jerking around. I said, focus, focus. And then I read where you take crushed ice, and you put it on their lips, and I put it on her lips, and she spit it back at me. And then uh, I put on some soft music. She goes, turn that music off. And I was ready to take my whistle off, my cap, my clipboard. And she was going to lose a good coach because at this time I didn't feel like I was doing a very good job. And the contractions started coming quicker. And as the contractions got quicker, I, I would try to rub her back and, no, no, don't touch me. And then she looked at me and said, look what you've done to me. And uh, I didn't know what to do. And... I started, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus, focus. And she's like looking at me. And I didn't know whether to focus or cast something out of her because it, those eyes, she was, she's looking at me and I'm like, breathe, breathe. And I'm, we got through that contraction. Another one came fast. I was like, and then another one. I was, and my fingers started like getting numb. And I was hyperventilating. And, and then the next one, I was, <sighs> I was down on one knee, I was holding onto the bed, and then the next contraction, I was, I'm such a wimp, I'm supposed to be so strong, I'm, <sighs> and then doctor, I hear the doctor, you can push, I go, I was too tired. Like, I woke up in time for, for our child to be born. 
And they, they hand me the scissors. You can cut the umbilical cord. I was so nervous. I was like, and the doctor's like, that's my wrist, Mr. Moore. He's a very thin doctor. And uh, so I cut the umbilical cord, and they, they hand Brookie to me. And I'm, I'm trying, to, you're trying to be macho. You're trying to be hard. I was like, <laughs> change my life. That, that child. And then we had another little girl. And then we had a boy. And, and DJ is 15, Anna is 20, Brookie is 22 now. Man, that, that changed us. But, but in this passage, Elisha prayed, Oh Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Open his eyes. Now, now most people are aware of this story in God's word. Elisha has been sabotaging the king of Aram's plans. Every time the king of Aram would send a raiding party into Israel, Elisha would tell the king of Israel where it was. So the king of Aram, he said, that there must be a traitor among us. There's someone that's ratting us out. No, the real problem is Elisha. He knows what you're speaking even in your bedroom. I mean, no, that freak anybody out. I mean, he goes, this guy knows what you're speaking in your bedroom. Well, we got to get rid of him. They, they found out he was in Dothan, so they sent an army and surrounded the city. The servant gets up. He looks out the vast army there to arrest or kill them, and he tells his master. He tells Elisha of the situation. Elisha, he doesn't even flinch. He's not even bothered by it at all. He, he just says, those that are with us are more than those that are with them. You know, people read that and people go, amen, they're more with us and with them. But put yourself in the servant's position for a moment. I mean, he, he's like, let's see, one, two, thousands of them. One, two. More with us than are with them. Open his eyes that he might see. And in that prayer was the difference between fear and faith. In that prayer was the difference between defeat and victory. In that prayer was a prayer that God answered for vision. Vision is such a theological premise that all of us must grasp to understand the ways of God. It has been said that what you see is what you get. Now, in college, I, I drove a Maypop car with Maypop tires that may pop at any time. <laughs> it was a little Datsun 510. And uh, for whatever reason, I, I liked music a lot, then still do today. And um, I, uh, I took out my heater and put in this nice stereo. And it, my car leaked. I don't know how, but water would get in and my floorboard would fill up with water and I would have to scoop the water out. Uh, and uh, when it rained, it was really bad. If it rained hard, my windshield wipers uh, were horrible. So I'd pull over the side of the road and wait for the rain to subside so I could drive. I mean, you're a college student. I mean, some of you know college students. You didn't have like a lot of money, so you're, you're just making it. And so I invited Cindy uh, out for uh, a dinner. 
And, and it rained before, and I forgot to empty my floorboards of water. So I opened the door, and I told her, I said, well, listen, um, put, put your feet up here on the glove box, and uh, you won't get your feet wet. And uh, <clears throat> so I, I took her out on the date. We had a wonderful date. I, I took her home, and I, I started dating Cindy, and, and her neighbor, would he was mean. He would he'd come out and say, listen. He goes, your car is so loud. He goes, could you please not wake me up at night when you bring Cindy home? So I would turn the corner and try to get ahead of steam and turn the engine off and coast to Cindy's house, drop Cindy off and push my car down the street and start it. And again, if the rain started heavily, I'd pull over the side of the road. Anything that affects your vision is going to impair your mobility. What do you see? Now, why, why do people go to therapy or counseling? To help them see their world clearly. The therapist will say, have you considered this? And uh, do, what do you really want out of life? And, and the, you, they will say, tell me more. This is what I want. This is what I, I, I want to see accomplished in my life. And they're trying to help you see clearly. Because if you can see it clearly, then you can change it effectively. You cannot change what you cannot see. That, that's why it's so important in a marriage. It's a win-win when, when I share, present myself, and my wife presents herself. If I want to win all the time, that's domination. If it's a win-lose, then domination leads to frustration. But if she can communicate, present herself, I can present myself, maybe I'm going to see things differently. If you're going to change anything effectively, you've got to see it clearly. You might not be seeing this stage in your life correctly. You think that when you were 21 years of age, that was the greatest time of your life. You might not be seeing 40 correctly. If you are, are sitting around and you're saying, well, the greatest time of my life is when I was a teenager or when I was in college. That was the greatest time of my life. You might not see 50 or 60 or 70 correctly. This might be the best moment of your life. And you're not even seeing it. Because you're not seeing clearly. Now, now there are different types of vision. There, there is your physical vision, your, your natural vision. You see and... and Thank God, as we get older, they have glasses. What do glasses do? They help you to see what? More clearly. And then there's supernatural vision. Uh, Paul in uh, Acts, when he was Saul, chapter 9, in the road to Damascus, he knocks, uh, uh, gets knocked off his horse and the, the heavens open, and he has a supernatural vision. That's when God opens this world and, and you get to see in the next world. And that's only happened maybe one time I can think of in my life where, where I've seen that. And 
what happens today is so many people are, 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 are talking about their supernatural experiences. And, and, and I believe in those. And I was recently at a, uh, at a conference that I spoke at, and we were in the back room, and one of the le- worship leaders, young man, full of zeal, excited, he said, last night a prophet stuck his head through my wall and appeared to me. And uh, I, uh, you know, I'm in my 50s now, and I feel like I've walked with God for 30 years. I had just turned to him, and I was trying to help him a little bit. I said, I don't believe that. And what was happening in the room, up until that point, each person was sharing a supernatural experience. Now, now I believe in supernatural experiences. I mean, I was preaching recently, and a, and a lady came up to me, and, and she handed me an envelope, and she said, while I was preaching, gold dust had fallen and, and she collected it and gave it to me. He said, what'd you do with it, Donnie? I threw it away. He said, why? It's not that I didn't believe that gold dust fell, but I know me. If I'd have opened that envelope and saw gold dust, I'd have become prideful. And maybe you're a lot stronger than me spiritually, and you'd have opened it. And, but I would have became prideful, and I knew what that would do, so I didn't even open it. Paul said, I know a man 14 years ago, whether he's in the body, out of the body, he said, I don't know. He didn't even say it was him. Was caught up into the third heaven. He he saw things that he couldn't even share. I mean, we can't keep a revelation for 14 minutes, much less 14 years. And and people want to write books and talk about manifestations. And and this is where I stand on that. And and maybe you do too, and maybe you don't. And and I'm not against anybody that's doing anything. I'm not criticizing anybody. But what has happened is God gives people an experience to carry them to purpose. And what the devil wants is he wants you to make the experience your purpose. I'm going to say it again. You, you guys look friendlier over here. I said God will give you an experience. The experience is to take you to your purpose. But what we have done is we have made the experience our purpose. So people camp at experience now. And whatever the experience is, and, and, and what happens is a lot of times people are just trying to out-experience one another. And a lot of people are sitting back and, and they feel inferior in their relationship with God because they're not having those type of experiences. And, and in some places it's bought more detriment and, and, and more defeat to people's lives because they're saying, I'm not living in that realm. And it makes you feel less spiritual. I want to go on record and say this. Not everybody is going to see into the supernatural like some folks have had an opportunity to experience. But that doesn't invalidate their Christianity or, or make them any less a Christian. And, and the thing is, is there is a vision that we all can have. And it's a hope vision. A hope vision. Hope is that which is in the future. Hope and faith are tied together. Faith is the substance of things what? Hope for. Your vision is your hope. Your faith is the action you take on the way to your hope. Did you catch that? Your vision is your hope. Your faith is your action you take on the way to your hope. Without hope, without vision, you will take no action of faith. They're tied together. 
hope vision. The answer to our dilemmas, the answer to our ministry, the beginning to our miracle. You'll notice in Scripture, God always works in given ways. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You ever thought about that? God is the same. He doesn't change. I mean, there's some things God cannot do. I was thinking about this last night. There were some things that God cannot do. And so I just got out a piece of paper before I went to bed last night, and I wrote this down. God cannot lie. Right? Uh, Malachi 3 says, God says, I change not. If God could change, that means he could get better. And God can't because God is already best. I graduated from college. I, I mean, I don't look like it, but I, I can think a little bit. And I, my mind was just kind of, God does not think the way we think. We think to figure stuff out. God says, your thoughts are what? Not my thoughts. God says, I don't think like you think. If God could think like we think, then God could think something that he's never thought before. You know, God has never said, you know what, it just occurred to me. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's hard sometimes when, you, when you're trying to describe, he's the same yesterday, today, forever. So if he doesn't change, he's unchanging. God always gives vision before it comes about. God always gives vision before it comes out. Abraham, Genesis 15, go out, count the stars. Abraham goes out, he counts the stars. He says, so shall your descendants be. So every time he walks out of his tent at night and Abraham sees the stars, he's reminded of what God said. In Genesis 13, God showed Abraham the land of Canaan. Your children are going to inherit this land. He gave them the vision before it ever happened. Joseph, God gave him a dream before it happened. Why does God give vision before he acts? Number one, because it's his nature. The entire scripture is summed up into a Long theological word that I'm not even going to try to pronounce because it would bore you, but it really means this. God speaks, God acts, God speaks again. Let's say that together. God speaks, God acts, God speaks again. Now, now, example. God meets Moses at the burning bush. He speaks to Moses. Moses, I want you to go down to deliver the children of Israel. Moses goes down. God acts. He brings the plagues on Egypt. He brings them out of Egypt to Sinai, and God speaks again and gives the covenant. Because God speaks, God acts, God speaks again. He even does this in the Gospels. It's interesting how the writer, Matthew, he does it. He does the teachings of Jesus, 
Then he does the acts of Jesus, and then he does the teachings of Jesus, and he puts them in packages. Because God always speaks, acts, and speaks again. That's the way Scripture is. It's his nature. Now, Donnie, what does that have to do with vision? Everything. Because God speaks, then he acts. Vision is a crucial element uh, because each step that you take in obeying what God has said gives you further revelation of who God is. He, he, he shows you his ways because vision is progressive. You don't ever fulfill vision completely because the moment you fulfill vision, you cease to walk by faith. So in this life, you're not going to fulfill vision completely because once you fulfill the vision, you cease to walk by faith. When I was in college, uh, Pastor Sam, God gave me a vision in my heart that we were going to have 300 students involved in our ministry. We grew to 400. God put in my heart, and I had a vision that we'd have a Bible study on every living group on campus. We, we started Bible studies in all the fraternities, all the sororities, and every living group on campus. God gave me a vision that we'd reach out to athletes. We reached out to athletes. We had 50 athletes. God gave me a vision that we would start Chi Alpha on 10 campuses. We were on 13. And then God said, you got to go into the high schools. Vision is progressive. I, I came out here and hung out with Stan. We'd drive by this. And, and we'd, Stan say, pray. And I would put my hand out. I'm nobody. But I'd put my hand out. I, I'm really, I, I was nobody then. I don't think I'm anybody now. But, but I would put my hand out and we would pray. Every time I came up. Then we'd go to stand down there, and, and many of you did this, so I, I'm not trying to act like anything was happening because I was here. But, and we just put our hands out and pray over this property. I mean, you sit here as a result of vision. Is it completed? Absolutely not. Why? Because, because there's more buildings to build, there's more things to do, and, and God has brought you here to be a part of the vision of this house. See, but what happens, people get their own vision, and they don't have the vision in the house, and they create division. So, so what is happening here, there's an apostolic anointing, and I prophesied that in the first service over Pastor Stan and Karen. See, there, there's an apostolic anointing that is here for vision where people are going to be raised up out of this church, it's already happening, and be sent to the world. Matter of fact, people are going to come here and get vision, and they are going to go home and do the things that they've seen you do. I'm going to try this over here. If you can't give me a good Pentecostal amen, I'll take a good Baptist nod. I said, people are already coming here. And they're receiving vision to go and, and do what God has called them to do. Now, now, now you've you got to understand, the moment you fulfill vision, you're not walking by faith. So why does God always give vision before it comes about? 
One, it's his nature. Two, because he wants you to live by faith. You can look back on your life and say, this is all the stuff that God has done. But God is not impressed with all the things that has been done. He's impressed by your faith. And faith is the only way you get to please God. So that means throughout life, you're going to be receiving new vision. And some of you, you, you need to understand that, that some of the old vision needs to die. I mean, because you don't have the same vision 10 years ago that some of you have today. Vision is progressive. It, it changes. I, I know you heard probably when you became a Christian that you get a vision. And, and sure, they're a long time, uh, long term and, 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 uh, and vision that's way out there. But I'm talking about how vision progresses because God is a God that is going to give you new vision throughout your life. It's progressive. It's God's way of saying that you're important because you become a part of the process. The Bible says in Amos 3, 7, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. He always speaks and acts and speaks again. And we're a part of his plan. He doesn't bypass us. Because we hear his voice, we respond, we're a part of the process, and that gets exciting. In fact, it demands a faith response. Do I believe what he's telling me or not? The word says Abraham believed God. It was a counter to him. Righteousness. He believed God was going to give him Canaan. He believed that his children were going to be as large as number, as the sand on the seashore, stars in the sky. And it pleases God. Because God is always speaking, acting, and speaking again. If we get into the process by hearing his voice and taking steps of faith, we become a part of what he's doing. And it pleases him. See, we're a part of what he's doing. He's not bypassing us. If God's going to do anything in the earth, he's using what people. So, so we want to be a part of what God is doing. Think about it. God created the earth. He, he, he created uh, a man and, and he, he took all the animals and he says, okay, you name them. And, and can't you see God in heaven? Watch, let's see what he names them. God wants you to be a part of his plan. It links us. It unites us. And then we begin to move out in vision and God comes alongside and he said, this is good. And when I was here at the school and I got to speak to the students and I'm watching their faces and they're responding and afterwards the girls are here in a circle and they're stretching out, getting ready for basketball practice and then the track team is in there working out and I walk out there and I look and I see the athletic football field that's just been finished and every time I come here, it's just something new and I'm going, look at this, look at this. God just keeps extending. Now missions, people are raising up out of this church and, and they're, they're going to Cambodia and, and India and, and people are, they're getting vision. 
And that's why I said an apostolic anointing, that's not a weird word. It's what you guys are moving into. Because there's a release that's happening in this house. Well, Donnie, well, we might dwindle in some numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're, you're part of it is you're going over there. You've got the Hispanic, the, the church there. And then you've got, oh, let's see. We've got some other satellite churches that need to maybe take place. And vision starts coming up. And you're going, let's step out here and, and, and let's move here. Because vision is progressive. It, it, it grows. Now, why does God give vision before he acts? One, it's his nature. Two, he wants us to live by faith. And three, because vision encourages us when things get tough. Through storms, suffering, difficulties, you, you stay committed to your vision. People have trouble with commitment because they've lost sight of their vision. People don't go into marriage going, you know what? I'm, I'm going to marry you, but I, I'm going to give it a year. We probably won't last longer than a year. You know what? Maybe, maybe five years. Maybe five years. See, if they kept the initial vision they had when they got married, they'd be married 30, 40, 50, 60 years. But along the way, distortions came in. I didn't know that about you. I can't believe you talked to me that way. I, I never thought the day would come. Discouragement comes, and the mission is aborted because people lost sight of the Vision, because vision will sustain you when things get difficult. I'll guarantee you the dream, the vision encouraged Joseph when he was sitting in prison for something he didn't even do. Vision encourages you when things get tough. Vision is something the enemy will try to destroy you because he knows if you get vision, you're going to have a miracle. Vision always precedes provision. Tell me your vision, I'll tell you your future. Your vision will either propel you or limit you. It's been said, work without vision is drudgery. Vision without work is lunacy. When I sat with, with men of God... I always ask them, what, what is God saying to you? When, when I go back <laughs> every year, Stan, Denny Duran thinks I go back there be, because I, I want to speak in the schools, and, and I, I love that. I, I, I like, but I want to sit with him. And man, I, I start listening to his vision, and I walk out of there feeling like I'm in kindergarten. I just go, wow. He just had someone give him a golf course. I go over to the golf course. I'm sitting there and looking at this golf course. He goes, yeah, up above here. He goes, we're, we're going to put a rooms. And he goes, we're going to bring pastors that are tired from around the world. And they can come here and, and, and we can restore them. And, and they can be refreshed. And Amen. I, I'm just sitting there. It just gets all over me. I mean, I'm just, well, let's talk about, I'm going to close. Let, let's talk about. Okay, Donnie, it's one thing to talk about vision, but how do I get vision? I want to share with you four ways that, that I have found, and, and there are probably more, but four ways that vision will come in your life. Are you getting something out of this this morning? Are you? Are you? Just, just, and I'll make this quick, but I want to give you four ways that vision will come in your life. The first is cause. Cause. In, in Nehemiah, 
chapter 1. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down, and he, what did he do? He wept. When you see need, it always produces burden. You see a need, and you want to fill it. Pastor, we, we ought to be doing this. Come on, Pastor Stan, we got to be doing this. And Pastor goes, wonderful. How about you heading it up? And you'll never see those people usually again. I think we ought to do this. That's great. Come, come on, let's pray. Let's see right now. What was God saying to you? If you see that, if you see a need, maybe God is calling you to fulfill it. My, my daughter, Brooke, is 22 years old. Two years ago, she went with YWAM to Cambodia. And, and, and she was there and... Um, she, she went to an AIDS ward, and what happens is the, the girls that are sold into prostitution, the ones that get AIDS, they bring them to this AIDS ward to die. And so if the men, their husbands, in, in, in some cases, have gone over to Bangkok, they get a disease, they bring it back to these women, they send them to this AIDS ward to die. Now, my daughter, Brooke, two years ago was there, she came home, she went to Denny Duran's church. I wanted to go down there for a while, a season of her life, just to pray and, and see what God was saying to her. And so she was down there. She came back at Christmas. And we were sitting there one night, and she said, Dad, she goes, I feel like God wants me to go back. And I, I said, what do you, she goes, I need to go back to YWAM, and I'm just feeling this. And so she, she one night gets her diary out, and um, she, she reads me of an experience that happened to her in Cambodia. And, and she said, in a dirty building with open doors that let in the heat and the flies were about 12 beds in two rows. Only four of the beds had mattresses, and the rest of the patients were lying on wooden slats. These people were dying slowly, painfully, without the basic comforts to ease their suffering. There was no attending nurses, no doctors delivering pain relief with pain medication. Only the patients who were entirely dependent on family to bring them food and blankets. Overwhelmed, I looked to my left, and I saw a woman, half naked, frail and weak. She looked up, and we made eye contact. I tried to give her my best smile and not let her see any shock on my face. She motioned for me to sit down next to her, lowering myself to the side of her mat. The first thing she did was offer her hand. In that moment, I realized I had nothing to give her but my company. I reached out, I took her hand, and we began to try and talk. She was not strong enough to stay awake, so she drifted off to sleep, but still holding my hand. I sat there, I realized that sleep was her only relief from pain. Listening to her strained breathing, it occurred to me she had an incurable disease, and all I could offer her was my hand and prayer. Breaking down the language and cultural barrier was my offer of simple comfort to her. I came here to comfort the dying, but instead the dying changed my life. A dying woman with one touch of her hand impacted my life. This is a major factor in my decision to go back. She's, 
She'd been in my camps. She'd heard her daddy preach. But she was reading that to me, tears running down her face. I said, oh God, she's got it. She's got it. If she can get that, I don't have to worry about anything else. But if she can get that, get a hold of that, it'll, it'll give her a cause. She sees need, I want to meet it. Number two, a challenge. David, Goliath. This challenge shaped his destiny. When he came up against Goliath, the anointing that had happened years before came into focus. God can use a challenge to provoke you into vision. Oh, Pastor Stan, you can't build a Christian school in this valley. Uh, there's no large Christian school there. You... you you can't build a large church. You, you can't. Really? God can build a church anywhere he wants to build a church. I'm going to give you guys another chance. I'm, I'm going to say it again. God can build a church anywhere he wants to build a church. God can do anything he wants to do. He's God. So sometimes challenge, challenge, it provokes us. I was in L.A. doing school several years ago, and a, and a little girl walked by me, and she had a tequila bottle on her T-shirt, and it said on her tequila, uh, her T-shirt, below the tequila bottle, when you're thirsty enough, you'll drink anything. And something rose up in me. said, I'm so sick and tired of Hollywood serving up their perversion and the music industry and kids are just grabbing it and drinking. And we just sit by as a church and do nothing. I said, I'm going to go in the schools. I'm going to go in the schools. I'm going to find a way to get in those public schools. Because when you're thirsty enough, you'll drink anything. And you know what people told me? You can't go in the public schools. They won't let you in the public schools. I'm glad six million students later, I didn't listen to them. But I can look back on people that told me I can't. And there's something, it was a challenge. Challenge will provoke you into vision. Thirdly, the call, a prophetic word. Roger is in a service with Kimberly, and I just turned and saw them in full-time ministry. And I just spoke a word into their lives. And every time I come, when I see Kimberly, I see Roger, I go, God, thank you. Thank you. Now with the college age and moving in the, in the gifting and the, and the vision and the call of God. Two weeks ago, I got an email. And this man, he said uh, in the email, he said, when I was a young man, he said, I came uh, to your meeting on the, on the college campus he said, and you prayed over me and you spoke a prophetic word into my life. He said, I want you to know, he said, during difficult times, he said, that word has sustained me. He said, that, that word has so encouraged me. He said, uh, I'd like to get together with you. He said, I want to share, he said, the word you gave me. He said, because everything you said in that word has come to pass in my life. And it was signed Francis Chan. 
And I called Stan up. I said, you know, I recognize this name, Francis Chan. I said, uh, who's this guy, Stan? Have you heard of him? Stan goes, oh, yeah. He's got two books right now that are New York sellers, best, New York Times, best-selling list, two books. Crazy Love and, and Racing Hell. Okay. He, he said, he knows I'm a busy man. I, I, I emailed him back. I said, brother, I said, uh, I would love to get with you. And um, we're, we're going to meet here. And um, I want to hear this next season of his life and what God's calling him to do. Because he's going to encourage me. You, you never know in a service when a, a prophetic word. See, it can come through a prophet. Somebody that is operating in, in that office, in that gift, that, that can speak a word into your life, a, a word that, that is a word that gives you vision. It, it may come through Scripture. My wife, Cindy, was, was called in the ministry through, she was reading Scripture and it jumped off and, and, and it hit her. It can come through a message you hear on CD. It, it, it can come through that still, small voice inside of you, the the. The call of God. Oh, the call of God. That's why I love altar calls. Man, God, you know, at a camp, I, I can't tell you how many young people at an altar just crying out to God in one moment, in one moment. Man, we're coming up on our Easter camp, 30th Easter camp. And uh, we've run over 25,000 kids to our camp, but our camp this summer, a missionary, um, a young man that's a missionary, he, he came to camp. He's in India. And uh, he said, you got a minute, Donnie? I said, yeah. He took me over and he uh, pointed. And, uh, we were walking along the altar. He goes, right there, I got saved. And then he took me over and he goes, right there, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he took me to another spot. And he says, right there. He goes, God called me to India. He goes, I just want to let you know, Donnie, because I've been there six years. Man, you just don't know what God can do. Let, let, let me move to my last and my final point. Uh, the, the vision that, that God brings, can, it can be through a cause, it can be through a challenge, it can be through a call, and, and lastly, through a connection. A divine connection. You get with somebody that's operating in vision. You, you, the reason I like coming up here, I love all of you, but I like being with my dear friend Stan because he's a visionary. And, and he's humbled that I would say anything. He'd probably get mad at me. But he operates in vision. This staff all operate. Doug, I, I, you know, and I, I don't want to leave anybody out, but Raj and I, I look... I, Randy, I just look around. They're, 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 they're people that operate in vision. And, and you are people. The people of this church operate in vision. And when you get around people that operate in vision, you experience. It's, it's a Moses Joshua. See, you, you guys got to understand, as a preacher, you can't preach to people that are just cheerleaders. I mean, some folks, they go to church every week, they bring their pom-poms, and the pastor gets up and preaches, and they go, go, pastor, go. 
And I'm going to tell you, it's the quickest way to kill a pastor because he's scoring all the points. He's kicking all the field goals. He's doing all the running. It'll kill a pastor. And I've seen that happen so many times. The reason I love this church, because you have people who want to become what he's preaching. It's not enough to come. See, you're not safe in this church. If you're just coming, just kind of sit back and go, go team, go. You are people that want to become what's being preached. That's why you operate in vision. And that's why the Lord said in the first service, people are going to come. They already are from around the world. People are going to be raised up. They're going to be sent out of this church. You'll see if I'm a false prophet or not. And in the next 10 years, it's going to stagger you. It's going to stagger. It's going to blow some of you away. Where people are going to go, it's already happening, but it's going to intensify because people are being raised up in this house. There's an apostolic anointing that, that you're going to begin to flow in in the next three years, and you're going to start seeing people. They're going to come and say, Pastor, I feel like God's called me. I feel like God's called me to Cambodia. Pastor, I feel like I'm supposed to go to India. God, I, I just feel God calling me. And you guys are going to send them out more and more to all different places of life. I'm going to tell you something else. There's some millionaires sitting out there that God is going to raise up, that, that God is going to bless financially so you can further the gospel there are people in this church that are operating in a place of vision where God's going to use you and your resources to further the kingdom of God. Now, okay, can he come? Because I, I got to close. Pastor is not ministering for your entertainment. He's ministering for your preparation. <laughs> That's the office of the pastor, to equip you for what? Works of service to release you to your ministry. How many of you right now, come on, have a business, private business, own business owners? Here, come on, wait, yeah, private business. I want to pray over you today. I want to pray over you. Thank God for those moments where you can just, by being around men and women of God, you can see what God is doing through them and you catch a vision. Why do you think people every year from all over, literally the world, go to Tommy Barnett's pastor school? Because they sit there and they hear about the bus ministry. I can do that. We can do that, Easter egg. We, 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 we can do that in our church, do the Easter egg hunt the way they, we can do that. There are people in the body of Christ that operate you know, I, I've got young men. I got a young man. I was just in Fremont. He called me last week. He was hooked on OxyContin as a Division I football player, and, and, and he got saved. And he calls me up, and he says, I'll drive anywhere to meet with you because I want you to speak into my life. Brother Glenn Cole went, went home last week to be with the Lord. I was with him two weeks ago. And I said, Brother Cole, I said, I'm 54 years old. I've spoke to 6 million students. I said, I, I, I have been in every state but Alaska. I said, we've run over 25,000 kids through our camp. I said, this is my 25th year with the Oakland A's, speaking to professional athletes. I got my pad, my pencil. I said, I want to finish well. Would you speak into my life? And I said, by the way, any of the stuff I just shared with you, Brother Cole, if you think I'm bragging, I said, would you tell me? 
And he reached across and he took my hand. He looked me right in the eye. He said, I don't hear somebody bragging. He said, I hear passion. Donnie, keep your passion. And man, when I heard he went to be with the Lord, I'm flying home, I'm going to go to his funeral tomorrow. Man, we lost another general. I know it's heaven's gain, I understand that. But all these guys, stand they were my heroes, are now going to be with the Lord. And the Lord said, this is now time for you to step into that place and father this next generation. My God. I mean, that's what I'm looking at now. I, I got to put something in these, these young people I'm reaching. That's why I spoke at the school and why I come up here. I, I was recruiting. I'm looking at these young people. I said, we need you. I'm out there. We need you. We need you. I didn't come to yell at them. I want to stir them. I want to, I want to challenge them. I want to say, get out there. Candace, write this down. Write this down. Your setback is a setup for your comeback. You see, God sees different than we see. He, he, Oh, man. God, I know I... Be a part of something bigger than you can do on your own. What you see determines your future. As far as you can see. If you can see it, God said, I'll release it in your life. If you can see yourself owning the company you work for. If you can see yourself as the head and not the tail, if you can see your family, your children, your church, your, your business, if you can see that sickness gone out of your body, what are you willing to give yourself to to see that come about? See, most people that come to Christ actually do it in the pew while the word's being preached. They come to the altar to validate something that has already happened during the message. It's not so much they come to the altar to be changed. They come because they have been changed by the word that they've heard. Some of you right now, while I've been preaching, there's something stirring up in you. There's, there's something inside of you. What, what do you see for your kids? Do you see your kids serving God, sold out, doing the will of God? Well, no, I, I see my kids. They're not really going to do too much. Really? Well, what do you see? Because you see it, God said, I'll release it in your life. He says, as far as you can see. See, some of you are at the edge, and all you need is a push. Everybody say push. Just push. Push you into your destiny. Push you into your purpose. I, I, I know, I've got to close. Just think about this. Vision, what you see. 
purpose, why do you see it? <laughs> Goals. How are you going to get there? <laughs>